Hi, I'm Adam Nebs at the SMHR conference as a correspondent for the Mental Health. I'm joined today by Professor Tony Lamontagna from the Institute for Health Transformation at Deakin University. Tony just did a plenary talk titled Work as a Social Determinant of Mental Health and Wellbeing. Welcome to the podcast, Tony. Thanks, Adam. Happy to be here. Now, Tony, just uh, starting with an easy question uh, for our listeners. How do we know mental health is an issue at work? Okay, good place to start. Um, well, mental illness is really common in the working population. And the, the you know, back of the envelope, simple estimates are about one in five workers suffer from a mental health problem in any given year um, while they're working. They might take sickness absence for the mental illness or not. And some of that mental illness has to do with work. Some of it people bring to work, and some sometimes it's a combination of work and non-work factors. So what are the most common ways that organizations uh, approach mental health and well-being in the workplace at the moment? Uh, well, uh, from my experience, what I would say is that there's growing attention to the problem, which is really good news um, across the board in all sorts of work contexts. But I'd say that most of the attention is focused on workers and illness, which is quite important. It's critical to be thinking uh, on those levels. But um, ironically, the real obligation of employers is to provide work that's safe psychologically to the extent feasible. You know, you can't completely protect people against risks at work. So for example, if you're an emergency responder, you know, um, uh, violent crime isn't totally under the control of the employer, um, and yet, uh, you know, so those emergency responders need to be supported in ways you can't remove all risk, but you have to do the best you can to mitigate those risks where possible. So, um, what we do see in the working world is that there's a disproportionate focus on the responding or reacting end, and. What we could do better is preventing better. We could um, we could think better at, about the conditions of work and making sure that, that everybody uh, is is protected as best they can be, um, and that would I think greatly strengthen um, protection of mental health at work. Obviously, in the talk, you spoke about an integrated approach to workplace mental health. Can you just uh, unpack that a little bit for our listeners and how that would be the best approach that you know many workplaces could take? Um, okay, but before going there, maybe we'll back up a little bit. So the, the social determinants aspect is, well, how does work affect mental health? Um, and then, so we have that, you know, so how is it happening? And then, um, what can we do about it? So let's, let's go to the how is it happening bit first. And as a social determinant, um, most social determinants work in two ways. One, certain groups in the population and society could be more exposed to hazards than others. Um, and this we know to be the case with respect to work. Some people's working conditions are more dangerous to their mental health than others. Um, there are things about work that are health promoting too. So some people have better conditions. So a common example is job control, which is uh, the degree to which you have the ability to, to decide how to do your work and to use a range of skills on your job. Those, the more job control, the more health promoting, and it also promotes well-being. What we also know is if you have really low job control, that's a risk factor for common mental disorders, uh, depression, anxiety, burnout, even suicide. 
And so um, the ways that, that you get social patterning of uh, work producing, contributing to social inequalities in mental health is one, different conditions for different people or differential exposure, as we say, in, in, in the trade. Um, on top of that, some groups can be more affected by the same level of exposure. So um, if that's the case, then uh, the same exposure could result in more illness or greater impact, higher level of symptoms of depression or anxiety, for example. And so that's called uh, differential effects or people who are more sensitive or differentially sensitive. So an example of that is what we know from studies around the world is that low socioeconomic status workers, when they're exposed to um, low control and high demand jobs, are much more affected in their mental health than workers in higher status jobs um, or workers at higher socioeconomic positions. And you know that isn't completely understood why that is, but in short, what we think is that if you're in a higher socioeconomic position, you have greater both social and economic and other resources to buffer the effects of those poor working conditions than if you did and from a lower socioeconomic position. And so the result is people on the bottom are more likely to be exposed to those poor conditions and compounding that, they're also more likely to be worse affected by the same level of exposure. So you get kind of a double whammy. And this is the social determinants perspective. Is if we look across the whole working population, we have some groups that are really, um, it's probably a much larger contribution to their mental health from work, uh, particularly mental ill health, than there is for workers at higher status occupations, for example. And so this is how um, work can operate as a social determinant of health, looking across the whole population at where do you see more mental illness? As we know, we know that lower um, socioeconomic status groups have a higher prevalence of mental health problems, and the work contribution um, to this is substantial, and um, this differential exposure and differential sensitivity are the two mechanisms by which this can be produced. And, you know, those are the two ways in which we can uh, deal with it, that respond to it, try to reduce that problem and reduce inequities. So I suppose this is the reason why workplace mental health is one of those wicked problems. Mm -hmm. You're going to have a different, you know, subset of people working at each organisation, so you can't just apply a one-size-fits-all approach. Mm -hmm. So on that basis then, understanding that everyone's different and brings different, uh, you know, challenges to work with them from a mental health perspective, what would you suggest is, is a good framework that a lot of workplaces could follow? Yeah, so at the workplace level, there's lots that can be done. And um, what we'll do is we'll talk about, let's talk about the workplace level for a couple of minutes and then talk about sort of policy level, how do we improve things society-wide, um, that sort of policy. So at the workplace level, the traditional wisdom is, well, we need to do primary, secondary, tertiary prevention, meaning address working conditions, improve working conditions, improve workers' ability to withstand poor conditions or stressors at work, and then respond when people are having mental health problems to give them the support or treatment that they might need, help them um, recover and return to work. So there's that whole spectrum. And um, you could think of that as a sort of a, a journey of a worker um, uh, through the life course in mental health. Most of us are gonna experience mental health problems of some sort or another over the course of our lives. And um, 
So we need to have in place a range of strategies in the workplace to respond to people at any one of those points, whether it's work-related or not, for example, you know, in terms of responding. Um, so there's many, um, there, there's many different um, strategies for doing this. What we, what we do know, and this is reflecting back to the beginning of the talk, what we do know is there's a disproportionate focus on the responding end. And so one of the ways, um, and, and also that's a very much uh, public health or an OHS mindset, which is deficit or framed or risk oriented. But of course, work can be really good for mental health as well. You know, so work as a social determinant, work is the primary determinant of income for most people, and income and socioeconomic status is a massive uh, determinant of, of uh, mental health. Work brings us um, self-efficacy and self-esteem, can promote a sense of belonging, social connection, particularly early in life, providing links into social uh, social connection that are beyond family and neighborhood um, to broaden your broaden your horizon, broaden your world. Those things are all powerful, positive determinants. And with the OHS risk sort of negative framing, we miss. Uh, we don't tend to think about those positive aspects of work. So, one uh, one 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 framework that we've developed that tries to be a little bit more comprehensive is we refer to it as the integrated approach, which um, boils down to simply protecting people from recognized risks to mental health at work, promoting the positive aspects of work, and then responding if and when people are in distress or showing signs of mental health problems. And that, that middle piece there, the promoting the positive, is the new kid on the block in workplace mental health. Um, you'll have heard, many people, many listeners will have heard of you know, resilience programs, mindfulness programs, and all that work. Those are all fine, but they tend again to be directed at the individual rather than at saying, well, what is it about work that's good for mental health and how do we, put, how do, we do more of that? How do, we, um, how do we encourage employers to provide conditions of work that optimize job control? Because that would be protective, uh, protective of mental illness and also would promote well-being. Um, and so um, that's kind of the missing piece that would be, or, or I should say the missing piece, the piece that's really taking off and growing now, and there's a lot of potential there, um, if uh, we could get people to think beyond the individual level and trying to provide good work, work that is promoting of mental health, protective of mental health, and that would be a step forward. Um, so then we have the policy level. Yeah, we'll go to the policy level now. At the policy level, um, there's been a lot of activity in this space in recent years, which is a positive sign. Um, workplace mental health literacy programs have taken off beyond blue, and Australia was the first to, to implement these on a nationwide level from the mid-2000s. And um, that's just grown and grown from there, and that's all quite positive. Mental health literacy helps us to... Um, increase awareness of mental health problems and the fact that they're common and usually treatable um, through support or, or treatment um, and also uh, tend to be focused on reducing um, stigma against mental health problems which enables people um, to seek help or obtain help in a, in, in a more timely fashion. The sooner you get support when you're entering difficulties, generally speaking, the better off you will be. You're the more responsive 
your condition will be to the available treatments and supports. And so to the extent that we can make it safe and non-discriminatory for people to come forward with for support, people who have a mental health problem or an emerging mental health problem, the better. And so um, these uh, have been, national policy has pushed, and those are really voluntary policy initiatives. Beyond Blue Workplace program was, um, you know, employers would call up and bring Beyond Blue in to run that program, and um, that's positive. More recently, we have from the Mental Health Commission, the National Workplace Initiative, which uh, has taken on that, that uh, three-pronged approach, um, pretty much aligning with the integrated approach, protect, promote, and respond, um, which is very positive. But I, I do agree, I do feel that there's also a role for regulatory intervention. Um, in theory, what we have in Australia and a lot of Western nations is we want people to be able to go to work and come home well. That is, work should not make you sick. And, you know, that's easier said than done. And in the, uh, in the work and mental health space, we still have a long way to go there. There's a lot of, of work-related you know, mental health. For example, um, job strain, that combination of low control and high demand on, uh, in the same job, roughly doubles the risks of depression and probably accounts for 15% or so of prevalent depression in the working population. And that's far more than receive uh, workers' compensation for such conditions. So there's still, we're still dealing, I'm afraid, with the tip of the iceberg. And so the regulatory approach is to sort of bring up the floor, if you will. Um, and that would, that would be uh, a recent development in that space, was just in May of this year. Um, we've decided at a national level that psychological harm from work will be on a par with physical harm for work. That's only a recent change in the work health and safety laws that's flowing through to states now and codes of practice are being developed um, to respond to that. And um, so I think the combination of, of carrot and stick, if you will, of voluntary and, and, and mandatory approaches is what's needed because we've had some successes, but we still have a long way to go. Thank you.